Welcome back to Pack Your Bags with Tui. I'm Russell Kane, and this is the show where, well, I speak to people prominent in their field, quite literally in this episode, and they're going to be sharing with me all their travel adventures, things that go right, things that go wrong, how it's developed them as people, what they've learned, how traveling can make you see yourself in a different way, let alone see the world in a different way. How it works is simple. We ask each guest to tell us their three must-pack items, each one revealing more about them and their travel adventures. Oh, and I also mock their passport photo. (laughs) This episode, I spoke to Olympic gold medal winner, Greg Rutherford. It's quite strange because Greg and I have a surprising amount of common ground. Not fitness, we have no common ground there. I have none, he has all of it. We bonded over our Rain Man-like coffee habits. I've never met anyone as particular about coffee as me. We also talk about his stint as, and I did not know this, a competitive bobsledder. Right, let's get into it. Today, I'm joined by Greg Rutherford, MBE, Olympic long jump gold medalist and competitive bobsledder. Not words <laughs> I thought I would ever say together. How you doing, Greg? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. It's still that when you add the bobsleigh bit at the end, I'm still like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that, to be totally honest. Are you still bobsledding? <laughs> no, I'm not. I ended up um, really hurt, damaging my neck quite badly. So um, Yeah, because when you look, the heads do get thrown around a bit, yeah, do What did it, you do? Turn upside down or something? Uh, we didn't spin, thankfully, but um, the pressure basically opened up the vertebrae in my neck and a disc shot out of it. So, yeah. Dear. You get up to about four G-force on, on certain bits of these tracks. It's, it's, it's unpleasant. Anyway, Greg, welcome to Pack Your Bags, you and your remaining discs. (laughs) Thank you very much for having me. Greg, like all my other guests, is here to chat about his travel experiences and he's brought his three must-pack items with him. But before we get into all that, I just want to check that your paperwork is in order. Have you got a passport I can check? Do you Uh, want to describe the photo to me and how you were feeling when it was taken? uh, Yeah, I can tell you all about my passport, actually. Yeah, it was um, a bit of a, a manic thing. So back in 2013, when I had to have it renewed... I was going off to Russia for the World Championships and then we realised that we couldn't find the passport and I had about a week or so to Did go. Did it so ever to... turn up in the end? No, it never turned up, no. So don't worry. So there's probably just somebody else just dashing about at the moment just on, on an old passport. They've just stolen my identity. Prince Harry might have had it when he was making his escape. So, I mean, <laughs> if I could pick one country in the world where I wouldn't want my papers or my passport going missing, I think Russia would be up there. What Was, was that scary? It was very intimidating. Yeah, well, because I then had to, uh, I had to get, obviously, a, a passport issued and then I had to get into the, the, the sort of consulate, if you like, in London and you have to sit down. I felt as if I was being interrogated pretty much the entire time. Just every look was like, we don't want you to come into this country. Yeah. We're going to really look at you. We expect like you to, to jump, Mr. Rutherford. <laughs> it, was, it was terrifying, <laughs> genuinely. And as you say, it's, it is one of those countries you think like, I don't want to get anything wrong. No. I don't want this to go wrong at all. So sat there very politely. It, was, it, it took a long time. And then they finally issued me the visa. Um, so I'd had the new passport with the visa then put in there. And then they let me go. And they let me enter. Um, and I didn't have a great competition so I mean it was a bit of a waste of time. So are you quite a chaotic traveller then because losing passport I'm a manic person but I don't lose my house keys and I don't lose my passport. Passport losing I would say is a red flag for me on your levels of organisation overall. It's a bad one now the the, the problem it's only ever happened once and probably similar to yourself at that point in my life I was travelling every single week and I was here there and everywhere and it'd be home for a couple of days onto another flight home for a couple of days and it was just one of those things where it clearly got put down somewhere and then went lost now there's only ever been one other scenario where for me personally especially during my athletic career where it went slightly wrong is when I turned up to the airport just to go on a European team championships event and I'd left my passport at home so there's only ever been two scenarios left it at home once 
and then um, losing it entirely. And that's that. So I'd say the rest of the time, do you know, I love everything about traveling to the point where just getting in the car to go to the airport, being in the airport, milling around. I love being in the airport as well. Loads of people hate that. I know. And I really don't understand it. I like flying as well. Do you like flying? Yeah, I love flying. All of it. I love it. It's great. I mean, the, the idea of being in one country and an hour, two hours, however long it is next, you're in a completely different part of the world with mm. different language, everything else. The whole idea of travel is just wonderful to me. To travel, Greg, you are going to need your luggage. So uh, we can have a pry into your luggage now and look through the three things that you've brought with you. And let's move on to that first thing. What is your first must-pack item? Right, so of the three things I've brought with me, I realise very much, two of them seem like different parts of my life, if you like, and another part is something that's been a constant throughout. So we have something from my athletics career, the thing that's the constant, which was there and is still there now, and then the, something that I think symbolises travelling as a as a parent. But what I thought I would I'd what grab we first. Get, yeah, let's kick off but, with something. Let's go with the constant. So the, okay. the constant thing that I've always had oh, this? and I always travel with. Coming out here. Oh, hello. This is, We're going to get on. This, for me, is one of the most important things. No matter where I go in the world, mm. I will always have a bag of coffee and either an AeroPress or something else that I can make some form of good yes. coffee with. Yep. And I found this out, I guess, relatively the hard way. When I would travel around Europe competing and uh, other parts of the world as well, often you couldn't get access to good coffee. Mm. And that for me became a really important thing before I competed, just day to day. And people would actually come to my room in order to just pick up oh, the no. coffee. People take the piss and, and, <laughs> they do. and, and say that, oh, look at Rain Man there. Because in my case, today... Listeners, we're in the centre of London in a trendy coffee area. Open my case. The first thing you will see is a red self-plunging cafetiere mug with a hidden AeroPress bit inside and a pot of coffee. Yeah. So I can make my own coffee if I needed to, exactly. just in case coffee wasn't provided today. I don't leave myself open to a non-coffee situation. <laughs> you, and you know when people go, oh, we've got some, we've got some uh, you know, powdered coffee if you want. No, I don't. I struggle with that, yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't want your powdered coffee. I have to press real coffee. It's psychological. It's yeah. ritual. Comedy is competition. Comedy is sport. Is. And I have to be fueled properly. I'm buzzing for you that you're, <laughs> that you're the same. People don't understand it. Where's your best coffee destinations in the world? Oh, in Oslo, actually, Tim Winderbo, who was World Brister champion, I think back in like 2008 or nine. he has a roastery and a coffee shop of sort of pilgrimage there probably two or three times that's that was really really good do you like oslo as i'm just i've got a tour date coming up in oslo and i played there before it's just not somewhere i ever thought to go it's beautiful got off the plane and it's yes it's a little bit pricey yeah, uh, in yeah. some of the restaurants but my god what an amazing city <laughs> yeah that is the one thing going out for a drink or anything else i mean that was the, the the interesting thing when you talk to sort of the team if you like if you're going away on an athletics trip in particular you'd have like the coach and stuff that still love going for a beer and they would hate going to places like like norway and or wherever it might be sweden etc because the beer would be like 14 pound a pint i mean it yeah. really can be very very expensive but as a place to go and experience something new such an incredible yeah. place. And, we, we, you and the have scenery the, as well. If you, if you venture incredible. not too far from Oslo, you're in the fjords and all of that. Well, completely. And, and for me, you mentioned the bobsleigh side of things, but back in sort of February 2014, I tried out the, the skeleton as well. So skeleton, the one you go head first down the ice track. Hang on, I've, li- I've literally never heard that term before. I've, that, heard, I've heard of bobsleigh. Well, the skeleton bob. The one we got, What's what, the skeleton bob? That's the one where you lay on like... Because death is certain. <laughs> that is not far off. I wouldn't want to get in anything that went fast and was nicknamed the skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a good point, actually. I've never actually... 
Oh, this, Chris, why is this it one's as- called the fractured femur sledge? Do you want to go? <laughs> Not really, Greg. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now I think about it, maybe it's yeah, it's destined for things. So what to is go it? Wrong. It's a see-through. No, it's the one where basically you lay on effectively a tea tray and you head first and you go down. We we keep winning like Lizzie Arnold's one in it. We're Amy Williams, Great Britain's good at it. We're very very good at it. So you did that in. Norway when you were Yeah, training. so I went to Lillehammer. So we flew into Oslo, spent a couple of nights in Oslo, then went out to Lillehammer, um, where the Olympic Winter Olympics have been held many years before. Um, but just sort of experience, as you say, the, the differences, and you drive from somewhere like Oslo out, and like you say, the fjords are out there, the mountains, it's a stunning, stunning place. But Oslo itself, it's a fun place to be. And do you like sort of, you know, everyone likes traveling and going on holiday, but this sort of having to travel as part of your athlete, did that enhance the job for you? Because if I'm completely honest, the travelling part of being a comedian is not always the best part. Sometimes I'm knackered. I just want to do my, my job or my craft or whatever you want to call it. I love travelling when I've got a drink in my hand or my backpack on my back. <laughs> but the combination of work and travel together, it's not for everyone. Did you find that aspect fun? Did you like that? I had to adapt to it. So I think what I did maybe that other athletes weren't doing, I mean, maybe a couple of select friends, is actually we went to see what was around us. So, for example, right. if we're going in for a competition, probably very similar for you at a gig, I guess. I'd fly in generally the day before, compete the following evening, go home the following day. That's often how it works. So it's like a three-day trip. Mm-hmm. But generally on the day before, if I'd got there, I'd try and have a little bit of a walk around, often looking for coffee. And what I always found really interesting was, so certain athletes would say travel with like a game console or something mm-hmm. like that. And I could never get my head around that no. at all. You're in these incredible places. And look, I might only venture out for an hour or so just to stretch my legs or so, but taking in what was around yeah, us and important. trying to absorb some of that I think that's what Mm. led me to really enjoy it because I spent the first probably 18 years of my life very rarely going anywhere like we couldn't really afford to go on many holidays so I probably left the country four times which Mm. I still know is a bit of a luxury my childhood was the same yeah and it was a lot of of home holidays which are obviously incredibly popular now but back then staying in a static caravan that was leaking somewhere Mm. I don't know where it'd even be some bay in the UK, which was in, the, but in the middle of winter, often as well. It's grim. Um, well, that's the start of the housing ladder for any eighteen-year-olds. <laughs> that's true nowadays, absolutely. <laughs> but it was those sorts of things to be able to see the world for me yeah. was such an incredible thing. So I, I tried to fully embrace it as much as I possibly could. You love skiing, don't you? We haven't I really do. spoken about. We you haven't yet. We haven't got onto it. Yeah, that that's actually my first proper love when it comes to to sport. When it snows in the winter in England, are you like a big kid. You're like, oh my god, let's let's off over the hills with a bit a bit of cardboard, like yeah. when like when you're eight or something. Well, we was <laughs> we <laughs> As, a, as, as kids, my dad made us what we referred to as the super sled. And the, the bowl in Milton Keynes were like the most popular people. Basically, it was a it was a crate, like a um, a pallet, sorry, with two old skis screwed to the bottom. Wow. And we'd go at the top I'll of the Campbell Park. Some speed. It, I mean, it was deadly, but it was utterly yes. brilliant. So I love the snow, yeah. Yes. But skiing's a big part of your life, isn't it? it was Massive, your, it's your yeah. first love. Yeah. So where yeah. do you go to ski then? I hate telling people this because basically it's a little village just down from Val Terren, so Val, in the Free Valley. So everybody knows Val T who, who goes skiing and that's a good place. But there's a little place just down from it, which is Wait, a bit more which family. Which country is that in? This in France. France. So this is in France, yeah. So predominantly go there. So bizarrely as a kid, I mentioned it earlier that our lifestyle was relatively poor families didn't go for it, but my dad as a second job was a skiing instructor on oh, a dry ski slope. Handy. So I learned on a dry ski slope and then we went on about four or five ski holidays predominantly to Andorra actually um that was sort of where we could afford to go. So we went a few. Then my first job was working on a ski slope in Milton Keynes. So Andorra is the tiny little principality in it between is. the north of Spain and the south of France. France, exactly that, yeah. So we'd go to Pasla Casa, Aransau, Pau, those, those sorts of places. Um 
and it was back when it was still pesetas and stuff and it was it was just a, an amazing it felt as if people didn't really realize it was there as such it wasn't mm. your big france switzerland everything like that so that was like my taste of skiing as a youngster and i was i was just obsessed with it so when i was old enough to get a job i wanted to work on a ski slope i did all of that so during my career I also would dabble. So I'd leave it, I'd, it'd have to be two or three years before Olympic Games just in case, but I would still ski during it's, my career as well. It's quite, if you pardon the pun, the leap from going to do skiing to one day, what did you do? The skis, you had to jump off them at one point, you're bloody hell, that, that was, <laughs> I covered a bit of ground there. I, not, I need to ditch these. How do you go from skiing to long? Well, the, the thing is, the skiing was like a, a thing that I guess we did for a bit of fun ever so often, if that makes sense. It was more for me, was all well, the football, the athletics, everything else. Were you forbidden from doing it before a tournament? <laughs> it's one of those weird things. I guess as a, most Olympic athletes aren't, I think it might, it's actually changed slightly now with the centralised contracts, but we were basically self-employed, if you yeah. like. Same as a comment. So, yeah, so you can do... If I want to get off my noggin at V-Festival the night before the Hammersmith Apollo, that's my bad. Yeah, and the thing is, if you, if it means that you mess things up because of it, then you know you've you've messed up. It's down to you. Yeah. It's, and now, from my point of view, if I went skiing and broke my leg, say, as some people very sadly do, I then can't compete. It means I just don't earn money. People would say, like, your physios and stuff would say, don't, like, you probably shouldn't do that. Yeah. But I always, look, I thrived off having a level of risk and danger in my, probably my life, but during my career as well. If I ignored enough of the things that I wanted to do, performances dropped anyway. So I needed that for a bit of a mental reset and everything mm. else as well. And being in the mountains for me is one of the it's greatest balance, things. It's a balance, isn't it? If you, you take away to. anything in your life that excites you, you're probably not going to be a good athlete. Completely. So, yeah, so there was nobody saying no. Maybe I shouldn't have done it at times, but equally, thankfully for me, touch wood, uh, as it was at the time, I came out unscathed. At what point did you think, I can jump really far? Was you always, like, I was always the funny kid at school, but right. I, I never thought to do it. It took me a long while to realise I could do it for a job. Jump and run at school, you don't necessarily, particularly from a working class background, no one points you in the right direction necessarily. I would agree, they're massively. So, the, so where I realised I could jump... So at the back of my house, there was always like materials left over. My dad was a builder, so there was always stuff there. And I used to jump on, they used to have this big pile of, of uh, roof tiles. like Rocky One when he didn't have a gym, he had to punch <laughs> yeah. meat carcasses. Well, it was basically that. Well, I just leapt across breeze blocks and fiberglass. <laughs> I never did, basically. Wow. And I used to standing jump up onto these tiles and I'd done it for such a long time. And I remember a garage was then built at the end of our garden. My dad built a garage and we used to like jump out the top windows. There was a top space. Yeah. Me and brother and jumped down into some sand beneath us. So that was probably the start of it. But I was always the quick kid. So, whereas you were the funny kid, I was always the quick. So every sport I did, I was fast. So I could run faster than anybody else. And I can't see how people saying, go to the athletics club, go and give it a go. I'd win like all the inter-school 75, then 100 metre races. Went to the athletics club, spent a year of being good at it. Then one other kid came along who actually ended up becoming a uh, full yeah. international as well. He was better than me. I thought I'd try the jumping. Why not? And here we are. And what do you think of triple jump? It's just cheating, isn't it's just it? It's weird. It's cheating. It's, if you're a triple it's just jumper, like pick you're a weird. jump. <laughs> and also, <laughs> yeah, and also like, the most, like one of those masculine things I ever could have done to impress my dad would be jumping. And then I'd have to break the news to him I was going to skip in the middle of it. <laughs> it would have broken his heart. <laughs> you, what I will say, I always say for anybody, because it is a weird event. It is genuinely a weird event. <laughs> but if you watch, so we had like a, a, one of our best ever, obviously, Jonathan Edwards is the greatest ever, but Philip Sado, if you ever watch Philip Sado's slow mo jump, how his kneecap doesn't fire off to the moon or like his yeah. tib fib split the, when they go through that those phases the pressure on the body is 
unbelievable. So I had the easier of the jumps, but the triple jump's just weird. And you've got a connection to Phoenix in Arizona. The reason it caught my eye was um, on my honeymoon, we drove coast to coast. Oh, brilliant. So me and Lindsay, we flew into Florida, touched the ocean that side, hired a car and drove all the way to Amazing. San Diego and finished our honeymoon there. But we stopped in Arizona and it's really stuck with me. I was down in the south in Sedona. Right, yeah. I really wanted to see Phoenix as well, but it was amazing. We went looking at the stars in a, in a buggy, in a June buggy. It's, uh, it's an incredible it was, it was, place. Yeah, it was amazing. So, uh, Sedona's, again, it's, it's, it's not far, what, an hour and a half or so north of, of Phoenix. So I was predominantly based in Phoenix. I've just got back from there a month ago, actually. Um, so first time we've been back in three years. So I, I trained there. So my, my coach was an American uh, who was based out of London. So he worked with me through the London Games. He then went back to America and was based in Phoenix. Uh, so I followed him out. So the first time I was there was 2013. And we still go to this day as on family holidays. And everything about it. I tried to move there at one point, got accepted for a green card, but then you tried to, what, to Arizona. Yeah, I was just going to live. So one of my best friends, a guy from Stoke who now lives there full time, been living there since about 2013, there 14. There can't be many people that make that transition. And it's a weird the old, one. The old Stoke Phoenix community. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, you know, like when you see like a Ukrainian village or an Italian town, I couldn't imagine, oh, you want to go to the potteries. We call it the potteries <laughs> down in uh, Sedona. <laughs> It's is, it is bizarre, isn't it, how these things come back? But I would have only have ever come across it. Yeah. Well, I would never have come across it, sorry, without my coach being based yeah. there and everything else. But as a family location as well, we found. Like, I've spent a lot of time in California as well, Laguna, San Diego, and places like that as training venues. But I then found when I had the children on top of that, being based in Arizona and Phoenix was, was just fantastic. And again, we go to places like Sedona, up to Flagstaff as well. So you can literally yeah. ski one day and then be in the hot sun the following day. So it, it's got a lot of positives That's for us. That's crazy. What is it, like warm up halfway down or something, you finish well, in sand? No, what it is, well, I mean, like, uh, if you go up to flag, I mean, it's, it's what, 12,000 feet or so, and then you literally just slowly come down. I mean, New Mexico isn't a million miles away, and that's that sort of plateau, yeah. which sits quite high as well. But you, you sort of come back down from, from Flagstaff and slowly work your way down, and that beautiful, like, very Western-looking with these huge cacti everywhere and everything else, that whole part of the world, I absolutely love, and we love still visiting now. And we may even in the future revisit the idea of spending some time there as a, as a family, get the kids settled for a bit and, yeah, spend some proper time there. That probably brings us quite nicely onto your second item. What's your second must-pack item, Greg Rutherford, right. I'm... <laughs> I'm only jealous. <laughs> I get letters after my name, but there's normally four of them. <laughs> well, the thing is, I have them after it as well. So that's when people mention the MBU, they then add those four letters generally afterwards too. So what a disgruntled competitor? Yeah, well, the odd one. There is the he put himself in a skeleton bob. So one sport's enough, Greg. Don't get greedy. <laughs> I've actually had that a few times. Since <laughs> well, do you know what? We'll go. We'll go athletics first. Okay. So hang on. So this so it sort of start at the beginning. And I mean, do you want to describe what I'm? Holding in front. What I'm looking at, I mean, again, we're going to get on because as, as a tin of tuna, which we'll also normally find in my bag, but it's not similar. just a tin of tuna, it's in olive oil, providing essential healthy extra calories, not sunflower oil, a questionable fat, but olive oil. It has to be olive oil. And I'm assuming that's not an accident. This is in no way an accident. So as you say, the tin of tuna here in olive oil, this is something... And, well, not this exact one, but these travelled with me to every single competition that I ever went to, every major country that I was travelling to, in order to make sure I knew I had some food that, first of all, my body responded really well to, but I actually genuinely very much enjoy consuming. And this tins of so the day of the competition and generally the day before the competition, for at least my lunch, this is the bulk of what it consists of, eating 
one, two cans of tuna with maybe some salad and everything and, and else. No matter what sort of a bind you're in, you can walk into a late night supermarket, crack open a ready-made salad. You've got your olive oil, your tuna built in. That is a meal, people. This, this is, and it's one of the, it's just, it's such a delicious meal. So I still eat these just out of the can now. I first of all love the taste of it, but second of all, it was so useful. I mean, it feels I, like a sort of, because we're talking about travel day, the sort of thing you, your mum did in the 80s, you know, you'd <laughs> open it and there's tea bags of tins and tuna in there, full shop, English breakfast, sunblock, just stay in England. <laughs> <laughs> it literally digging up part of your garden, take it with you so you've got some English land Telly, to stand on. I want my BBC, <laughs> I want my breakfast. Uh, but it's similar but it's one of those things that you again you must have had this as well where uh, you go to certain places you're, you're always, doing a gig somewhere there's and always be, and you, on me exactly because the food at times as well you'd go there and go this is dreadful like I'd go into certain hotels and it might be in the middle of nowhere and the food was utterly dreadful so from a very early so 2005 was the first time I did a major as it was a junior major and we were in Lithuania and the food that was put on for us was was dire, was really, really bad. Mm. And from that point onwards, I was like, I must travel with something I can travel with that I can get through customs. But, so I competed in Govardo in Italy in uh, 2017. So it was it was a long jump competition. Long jump. Yeah. So nothing it was snow-based. Then. Nothing snow-based for that one, no. Um, and it sort of coincides a little bit with the end of my career, really. So I already had one ankle injury. And then I went and jumped to this place in Gavado and I tore something called your spring ligament in there. Ouch. Quite useful for a I'm a guessing the spring. springing is part of jumping. It, it helps a bit, yeah, here and there. Um, and in customs, I went to London City Airport. And for the first time ever at London City, the guy took it off me. I had like six runs of this. He took it off me. He's like, you can't travel with that. I was like, oh, I'm trying to... Main luggage Why wouldn't you main luggage Well, because I, I was only taking a uh, hand luggage because I only go for three days. So I just, I'd take my spikes, all things. You learn as well as an athlete that if you don't pack your spikes on you, there's a high risk they're going to get lost because they just seem to go missing. Right. And you don't want... I've had one competition ever where I packed a main luggage, it disappeared, didn't have your spikes, nightmare. So tuna spikes, whatever else... It got taken from me though, first time and only time. Oh my god! And if because with sports people like comedians, we're attached to ritual, yeah, yeah, and things like that. So it starts to get in your head. Oh, did, and then I got hurt, and then that was the end of my career. So thanks to whoever it was at London City Airport, I blame you for ending my career. But uh, no, and the but Italians it, would be like, "You must have a freshly caught tuna steak. <laughs> yes, exactly. I just want it out of a tin, mate. I'm English. <laughs> <laughs> Squirt some oil on it. That's all I want. You haven't paired it with the correct wine. <laughs> Listen, Giorgio, I know you're trying to help me out, mate. <laughs> sure that's delicious but get me the tin stuff well, I'm very similar I'm always trying to, and sometimes what I'll do is if I'm staying close to the airport I'm flying from I'm, I live quite close to Manchester airport I'm 10 minutes away so nice. if I get my curry super hot I can put it in my hand luggage and it's still warm enough to eat past security side it's I still like a it. nice temperature if I've wrapped it in foil that's a, that's so a I actually prepping. found myself having an argument with a guy about whether a curry was more solid or liquid because it is in between it is, it's a difficult one isn't it and it, the best one was an egg it was like I had six hard boiled eggs I'd t- taken with me and a little um, and the ice pack discarded the ice pack I thought these six eggs will get me through the journey it's a bodybuilding day you can probably tell by <laughs> how I'm ripped <laughs> and uh, he was like I can't have an egg because it was a liquid but it's, <laughs> it's, it's no hard boiled but he was getting hung up on the fact it was a liquid a, a, a little while earlier. It, so some, I had like a philosophical discussion about the nature of an egg. <laughs> I love the idea. But that's basically what happened with the tuna. It's exactly the same. And I, and I was literally reading was, out. I was like, look. Was it drink- the liquid that bothered him? Yes, yeah, right, yeah. So the fact it could contain. But again, it was under the 100 grams of liquid, but he wouldn't have it. 
wouldn't have it. That would, that, uh, that's it. I would be, you I was know, really annoyed. Yeah, I'd be yeah. taken away like, uh, you know, <laughs> if I wasn't those Nick's celebs but... losing it, meltdown. I would have had a meltdown about that. A tuna, a tuna meltdown. Oh, there you go. There we are. <laughs> right, we're coining that. I'm opening a sandwich shop and that's in. So you are, as I, I know we're joking about eating simply, but you are a bit of a foodie as well, aren't you? You love proper food. And I yeah. suppose as an athlete, it's a habit you get into. Yeah, it's um, a really interesting one with food for me because I spent a large part of my career spent probably what? Ten and a half months of the year eating tuna, veg, and being really strict with it, and then I'd have six weeks off at the end of the year where I'd, I'd just want to eat everything I possibly could. And of course, if I was in certain countries and say you had a major championships, like my first Olympics was in Beijing in two thousand and eight. Mm. Now after that, yes, I got very ill and I had to go home, but I did try and try some local food before I, I left and everything because I wanted to give it a go. But predominantly, I was stuck eating very samey things. So that six weeks, I'd eat a lot of things. And then I have to go back into training. But then I retired and then food became something that I could really explore. We've seen you, you love your food and your family and your travel. But for someone that's so active, if we pack you off to some all-inclusive beach holiday somewhere it could, it could be spain it could be it could be further afield it could be somewhere like the seychelles for example that'd be nice um do you struggle not to go to the gym every day and not to be a bit active while you're there or could you sit with a stack of books a couple of podcasts <sighs> no, stick yourself full of pina colada and go home after 14 days nowadays i'm far better at doing nothing as I found. That's why I'm trying to get myself fitter again at the moment. But I have to do something. And do you know what I also find as well? I guess a lot of people find this. You go to a, especially a hot country and you have a bit more of a desire to move around. That's why I trained in a, in a hot environment most of the time. You wake up in the morning, your body feels pretty good. Mm. And I mean, I have lots of issues and probably need about four or five new surgeries at, at this point in my life. But it's one of those things that if I am in a hot environment, I do go for a jog here and there and, mm. I, and I do try and stay a bit. Whether or not I'd go in the gym, I'm not too sure, but I'd go for runs definitely. Because I what, enjoy what, it. What about a holiday? If we were going to the Seychelles, would you... St- struggle just to do the beach holiday or would you want to be what's in the middle bit of the, yeah I'd go well, yeah, what's the capital like and yeah I'd, I'd go to adventure definitely and but that's a big thing for me as well like, and it always has been broadening my understanding of the world I think comes from just experiencing it and just mm. getting yourself out there and submerging yourself in what is around you and that for me and you obviously mentioned things like food all-inclusive is an incredible thing. I mean, of course, especially for families, it's so much easier. Oh, buffet. But, oh, God. You know, I mean, my, daughter, my daughter was seven. Before the menus even land on the table, I'm bored, I'm hungry. <laughs> exactly. So like, Off I, you I want go. a trough. I want a trough to arrive in my room. <laughs> my head comes out of a window. I feed at the trough, and then it goes back in. I'll exactly. be down with that. No, do you know what? <laughs> and, and it definitely fully has that. And, and look, when I'm with kids, it's definitely way easier doing that. Yeah. But I just like going and seeing yeah, certain no, things because enough. I always like the idea. Maybe well, you won Masters. Chef or something, didn't you? Or yeah, 2019. Yeah, yeah. So, but that's where food became. That's probably actually where 2019 is when the genuine, real love of food came from. Because I was so able at that because I've been retired a year. I was trying new foods all the time. Mm. Then I learned to cook those foods, mm. and I absolutely bloody love a lot it. of tuna recipes on your menu. I'm guessing uh, there's fish. Fish is heavily involved <laughs> at times. Although my other half hates fish, so that's it's always one. Yeah, how did you ever get me. past the first day? I know. When I go somewhere, even if I'm in and out, like I've got gigs coming up, Stockholm, Zurich and all that, if you're time pushed or you can't afford or you've got your kids or your family setups too massive to go travelling around, food is often a way of touring the place. You yeah, can absolutely. sit down in the city you've arrived, arrived at and, and tour it in your mind through the flavours and the culture and the history that comes through the food. Absolutely. Well, you get to meet people. And, and it's, first of all, it's really interesting. You talk to people who have been to the same place, but then you, you you've, I don't know, you've been to... 
Sweden and you meet a Swede and then you I've, I've forgotten the name the, the fermented fish the, yes the, have the, you ever tried it? it no I haven't but oh, I, I would have. like to I tried I had to it, and what did it what did it taste like genuine I mean like it, is it, is within, it? The, when you open it it the cloud of stench this is outdoors within a 10 meter radius has has the whole camera it was for something I was filming camera crew were, were gagging and it and it's rot it's rotten fish yeah. you can't just get it to the tongue before you go start vomiting but it's the same impossible. in Japan as well isn't it that's the thing that they have again a very similar scenario where in Japan they have a fermented fish, which is a delicacy as well. And that's something that I will at some point go to the north of, of the country and, and give it a try. Just to say I have, or at least get close to, at least yeah. you know the smell, even though maybe it's still imprinted in your skin. You'll probably break your personal best leaping away from it. <laughs> so tell us about Japan, because you mentioned it. Is that a place you love? Yeah. First time I went to Japan was 2007 in a place called Osaka for a world championships in athletics. And it was the first time ever I'd gone to a country where you couldn't read anything, mm. couldn't, potentially understand anything at all there was no solid reference point and i found that so exciting yeah. like genuinely Same. exciting and i've been fortunate to go to china japan korea all these different countries where it is just so different mm. but it was utterly incredible and the food there was mind-blowing so japan is something that i've only ever done as an athlete or as a presenter as i was presenting the olympics um for the 2021 the, the postponed olympics and it was mind-blowing to see. I'd love to take the family for them to experience it as well. And that's something that I'm really planning to do. I've always wanted to ski in Japan, but I basically want to ski. Anywhere there's a mountain, I want to ski on it. But from the point of view of the cultural difference, but just how incredible it is and the history through the food, I want my children to experience that Fantastic. soon. So that's a plan. I think we should move on to your third item. Well, well, this one's slightly bigger. Um, uh -oh. That is a buggy that opens in one shake. It was smaller than the size of a hand luggage, 45 centimetre hand luggage, and has opened into a full buggy that would take, well, I would stick my seven-year-old in that if we were in a long enough passport queue. In fact, I did. Because I've got a very <laughs> similar pocket buggy. We're twinning hard here today. We Greg. really are. Finding this when we did, and I, I, I now have three children. I know you have child yourself as well. So you're in a situation where how difficult it is when you are approaching a plane or even going through the airport wherever else and you've got a buggy that has to be taken apart that has to be checked in yeah. at certain times you have to go else. in the shaming queue next yes. to the stairs it is shaming queue like the, the, sh the, the like, buggy shaming how queue how dare you bring that here yeah. but with this and what's really nice as well is when you get up to the, the door of the plane and you know there's like somebody that's new that's now working they're like oh you can't check and you go oh hang on hang on fold it up really small and you're really smug for a moment because you've had all the stress of travelling with children who have probably at some point been an absolute arse about something and screamed mm, probably. about the fact they can't probably run around probably or them. definitely they've 100% they've had a fight with the massive Toblerones they've done all of that yeah, sort of yeah. stuff and you just want to sit down and mm. relax and then when they go, we can't bring that on here. And you go, well, actually. And then somebody else comes up and goes, oh, no, yeah, they, they can. And you, you you fold it up and you I just feel, oh, you it. feel so good for that one moment. Because then you go on the plane and everybody looks at you and thinks, he's brought three kids on this this plane. I hate him. Mm. That's, that's Lucky enough, you thing. can't hear it in business where you're sat. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I literally just sit to deal with the economy. Economy. <laughs> I just hang up right up the front. You're okay down in the economy, <laughs> love? I can't hear you. Sorry, see you in 12 hours. Can we just make sure we push those curtains slightly tighter? Uh, <laughs> oh, someone's dog clipped the curtains shut. <laughs> so, but I prefer it the other end when people, you're walking out with kids and you do the dramatic shake oh, out true. and do the, like I do a display unfold. My, <laughs> I go, ba-doom, and then make eye contact. Head you like that, bitches, and stick my child <laughs> in the boat. It's a great moment. That no, is true, isn't it? As well. You can sort of make people stand stand back a little bit because you're holding like hang on hang on it's like james it's bond that, levels of it is good and, and this as say 
is life-changing from the point of view of just speed. And I mean, my oldest now is eight, youngest is nearly two. And this one has served all of them. Yeah. And, it, and you can sort of see from, I mean, there's like sun cream ingrained in it, mud. It doesn't look too else. bad. It does not look too bad. I mean, it was entirely black at one point. You can now sort of see it's sort of gone a, ever so slight sort of browny, green, yeah. off colour. Yeah. It's, it's well used. It's well loved. But I say something like that absolutely changed your life, and it's difficult. Like for any parent that's ever travelled, like mm. it is difficult. You've got to start early. People, once a kid goes past about five, I've got plenty of friends where the kids have never been abroad. They're like, right. oh, that's the hassle of it. But you've got to do it when they're a dot. I'm talking yeah. three months old. Yeah, yeah. Do your first flight. Do your first trip. My travel tip for travelling with babies, really young babies, is this. Find a snack they really like if they're just weaned. It was almond butter with my daughter. Nice. Future vegan alert. <laughs> and uh, you dip the dummy in almond butter if you're using a pacifier or a dummy, which why wouldn't you? I just use it. And then have buck teeth. Good. They're silent for three years. Uh, put the dummy in the mouth. They suck the dummy where they want the snack off it, pop their own ears. Perfect. That's a great What one a travel well. hack. That's a brilliant one. Coin that. You just bring out like a... A disposable dummy that's very eco-friendly that does very, and literally just in different flavors. Flavored, flavored dummy range. Yeah, love it. Done. That's I'll launching. That. Yeah. So yeah, anything. And of course, because that's all men has ever known. Three months. Yes, we've had a couple of horrific screaming journeys when they're yeah, at that yeah. difficult sort of can't quite verbally communicate age, eighteen months. But it's so usual for her that now. I mean, where did where did we go recently? We did like eight hours to UAE. I don't hear from her. She's no. seven. And she sticks the headphones on, watches the movie. She loves it. Well, this is where I think we're both probably quite fortunate in that case. So all of my children, actually the youngest, not as much because of COVID, but with, with the boys, very similar age, three, four months, the first time they would have travelled over to America. And we've just sort of involved them in our lives from day one. And I had to, for me, I had to be in America, I had to train. Yeah, it's but that or don't see your kids. Completely. And that was the thing. And I didn't want to be away from them for three months at a time. So they would all come. And do you know what? The biggest thing, I think for any parents that are potentially thinking about traveling and they're so concerned about the, the children screaming, kids will scream. Mm. And, and it's at some point, something will happen or you'll see other kids. 99.9% .9 of passengers just feel really sorry for you yeah. and they just they just want you to feel like because you we literally had it on the way back from from Arizona which is only a month ago from from when we were recording this and just over from us was a child she screamed basically the entire time and for us you you just you genuinely just feel sorry for me just crack on you put your headphones on watch a film yeah. whatever else it is what it is children cry at times there's always one person you can see there was one person slightly disgruntled but Everybody else is generally supporting the parents. Because yeah. even people that don't have children were babies once. Exactly. Almost everyone. Obviously and, not and, everyone. Some were made in a lab. Well, there, yeah, there's some questionable humans <laughs> in this world. But as I say, I think for anybody worried about travelling, if you can make it easier by these certain things, then it, you'll be fine. And at the end of the day, a flight eventually finishes, you get off and everybody forgets. Travel sucks. That's what I'm going to call it. I'm investing. <laughs> I'm investing. Okay, we're going to move on to our quick fire questions now. Now, the rules are I want you just to answer with one, two, maybe three words. I may allow you, if it's particularly interesting, to expand for a couple of sentences. It won't be interesting. But, no, it's, it's, good talking about it's it. just half a word then. <laughs> so let's start the quick grunt. Just a syllable. Just a quick fire questions. First question best view? From my favourite place in Reberty, looking down into the valley from the resort. From where? From Re oh, Reberty. I've given it away now. People can know my favourite skiing resort, Reberty. Reberty right, 2000. Your last minute trip or planned in advance? Which excites you most? Last minute. Are you married to a super advanced person by any chance? Really <laughs> normally last minute chaos people have someone picking up their socks. So the story goes behind this. So me and my 
best friend Andrew, we created a thing called Fancy It, where basically at the drop of a hat, you would list a place and yeah. you would just put Fancy It afterwards. And if one of us put Fancy It, you had to go. What? So it could be anywhere. But and this was more what before it, children came along and whatever. I think it was quite right. difficult. Although he tried to pull a fancy at that uh, trip to Tehran was must well, be thrilling. He, he tried to make <laughs> to go to go Botswana, and I had to say no because when you have children, it's more difficult. But yes, yeah. yeah, so a fancy it is something. So the last minute is I I find quite mm. exciting. Um, favorite city: Phoenix in Arizona. So I have so, just have so many memories. Look, it's where I spent a, some of the best years of my training life. My kids have spent a lot of time there. I proposed to Susie there. We were going to be getting married there. There are bits in and around the city itself, which are incredible. Great. Favourite destination overall, <sighs> country-wise? Do you know what? Okay, I'm going to have to go America again. And I know it's a bit samey, but I've now recently just skied for the first time in America as well. And I now feel like you've got the best of both worlds. So all the places that I visited there, and I understand now why a large proportion of Americans don't have a passport, because there literally is pretty much everything on offer to you. Favourite tourist attraction around the world? I'm very much leaning towards Arizona again and, and the Grand so, Canyon, but I don't really... The Grand want... Canyon, that's a good answer. Yeah, well, do you know why? First time I saw the Grand Canyon, I looked at it and my it's called, there's a term for it. Your brain cannot comprehend what it's seeing, so it envisages it as like a painting or, or, a, or a photograph. And it is one of the most awe-inspiring things to look at, to understand that water created such a vast landscape. Was I actually found genuinely inspiring and was unbelievable and i love that this is meant to be quick fire and i keep going no, off on tangents. that's great okay aisle seat window seat oh if i'm on my own uh window if i'm with the kids aisle your window with those legs selfish so, <laughs> get in the aisle stick them out i normally i nearly nine times out of ten it's out but if i want to see a bit of scenery out the window there we are your favorite travel companion uh andrew Steele. we've traveled the world together my best friend um I love travelling with Susie as well. She's terrified of flying at times. So, uh, Andrew Steele. Lay in or early start? Lay in. Really? That I, must be tough if you're an athlete. I can't imagine training starting at midday. No, it was difficult. Yeah, I had to get to London generally most days as well. So it was an early start for training, but I much prefer laying in. Set the itinerary or go with the flow? Go with the flow. Uh, ultimate bucket list destination? This isn't quick fire for me because there's so many amazing different spots. Um, Let's go European then. Ultimate bucket ooh, list European. European. Oh, okay. Is that easier was, or more difficult? Well, no, I was then thinking maybe Whistler in Canada. Oh, yeah, that's good. Um, because I've been to Vancouver and I've I've driven to the base of where Whistler is and we loved Vancouver. Me and Susie went there in the early yeah, days. Canada doesn't trip. get visited enough. It I doesn't. Best trip ever. I was, we did go for work, but it's only a couple of gigs to Montreal. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's an amazing country. So Vancouver, we had an amazing time in Vancouver. It was, it was before children. Uh, and I've still one of my very close friends lives in Vancouver and I would love to, but then go to Whistler. Okay. So, city, beach, or ski? Ski. And what is the best slope in the world? I can't think of the name of the run, but there is, there's the run that brings you into Rebeti, and it basically brings you right down to the two restaurants, which sort of six is quite a bit quieter than, say, Valterrain, Courchevel, or Maribel. And it's just this beautiful, wonderful run that finishes on a really wide section of slope that's quite steep, which you, can, you just push, I always push for speed. And every time I do it, I smile. And it would just be that one run into Rebeti and I could replicate that all day. So, speaking of your strictly days, Argentinian tango or Viennese waltz? <laughs> I can't do any of them, to be totally honest, but um, uh, Viennese waltz. I, I just about got that. Which is harder, training for an Olympic long jump or being on Strictly? Uh, strictly. 
Really? Yeah. Genuinely, you're not messing around? No, no, I did. Look, I was training 10, 12 hours a day and I was still that bad. So that sort of shows you how difficult I found it. You have to completely unlearn everything I learned as an athlete. So I had to right. learn to point my toes, all that sort of stuff. I, you don't do that in track. It's right. all, everything's about dorsiflexion. One of the most important things you can learn as a runner, mm. any runners learn to dorsiflex. But I had to unlearn that and I found it so difficult. And I have a massive ass. And I kept being told to tuck it in. You literally cannot. T- it's, like, it's like asking a brick wall not to be solid. I mean, literally, you cannot tuck in something that's that monumentously large. So, And on that booty bombshell, thank you very much, <laughs> Greg Rutherford. Thank you for joining us on Pack Your Bags. Where can we see you? Got a book coming out? Anything, <laughs> anything we, we could stalk you on? Got a programme coming out? Any documentaries? What are you up to? I'm a bit, well, look, we're getting ready for... I, I predominantly work for Discovering Eurosport. So uh, from my point of view, we're now prepping for... We've got the World Championships coming out in a few months' time, so we're all getting ready for that. Uh, and then the Olympics again next year. It's coming around very, very quickly. So we're about to create a load of shows towards that. So that's across Discovery Plus, Eurosport, and everything else. Ever get so. you out of retirement again for one more jump in anything? Would you be persuaded? Maybe not one more jump. I could maybe try something. Would you fancy it? Should Triple we... jump's a piece of business. Yeah, well, I mean, it's simple, it? Well, maybe we could do a, a, a I don't know, canoeing. Fancy yeah. a bit of canoeing, do the two-man canoe. I think, I think the double skeleton. They do double luge. What's that? Well, you let back with your feet first. Oh, so it's sponsored that's by Smirnoff. The, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's the most dangerous one. What is that? double luge? Well, you basically both lay on the tea tray. Yeah. And then when somebody lays on top of you, you have to watch it. And you're, you're strapped to each other as well. Yeah. And you whiz down the track. That's a date. It's Greg, terrifying. Greg Rutherford, thank you very much for right, being on uh, Pack Your Bags. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Pack Your Bags with Tui. That's all for this episode. If you're joining us for the first time, you can catch up on previous episodes with Jason Fox and Bethany Hughes. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, remember to rate and review in your podcast player or share with a friend. If you're not enjoying what you're hearing, do us all a favour. Just, just don't, don't say anything. Just please. There's enough hate in the world. Subscribe now to get new episodes delivered into your feed every Wednesday. We have guests like Babatunda Eleshe, Grace Dent and Dr. Zoe Williams all coming up. Ready for your own snowy adventure? Head to tui.co.uk to find your next crystal ski and snowboarding holiday where you can live happy in your own winter wonderland. Pack Your Bags was brought to you by Tui and produced by Chalk and Blade.